Well, first, I just want to say uh, greetings. Nanu, nanu. Uh, from not an alien species, but a, a brother and sister church. Uh, you guys are a joy to me. I, I, I do. I, I, I think of you often. I pray for you often. Nick calls me, and he prays for us often. Um, and I, I do. I feel like we, uh, Hope and Timberline, are just inextricably. Words are hard. It's the first day of the year. Uh, intertwined, just in so many ways. Uh, we do man camp together, um, and there's something you need to know. So the, when, when man camp starts to be announced, this is what happens at Hope. In fact, I'm not there this weekend because we announce it January 1, first Sunday. I say man camp, and my guys say, huh. <laughs> so when man camp is introduced next, next week or whenever it's introduced, w- men, can, can, would you do this with me? Huh. Leaving my mark. Who are military, however you want to do it. But, but let me tell you, that's, that is really a joy. It's something that our men look forward to every year. And a big part of that, men, is you. Is the fact that we get to gather with other believers from a different part, from a different state. I mean, Washington feels like a completely different country up here. I mean, I, I look around, you guys are all dressed nicely. Like, I wore almost my Christmas PJs, because that's what I, we wear at church down in Portland. And, um, but I'm so glad that, that you still welcome me here. Uh, let me begin with, with a question. I, I'm so glad the Bible addresses the deepest, hardest, richest questions that we could possibly have, that life could possibly throw at us. Amen? So what sustains you? What sustains you in the darkest of times, the darkest of nights, the greatest of trials and tribulations and persecutions? What sustains you to the very end of life? Because you will all meet it. You will either die or God will, through his son, split the sky and we'll return, and we'll become like him in a blink of an eye. But for the majority of us, we will see death. And guess what? What are we promised in life? If anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross and follow me. This instrument of death, do you carry around the electric chair? Probably not. But that, that was the essence of what he was saying. You are going to experience trials and persecutions and hardships and troubles. And that, that is just the way of life, let alone the Christian life. But the Christian life offers something that, that a secular life doesn't. We have hope. So what do you hold on to? What do you cling to? What do you long for that empowers you to keep going? And how do you take grasp of that hope now so that when the night comes, and it will, when the darkness finds you, and it will, you will be holding on to that which truly anchors your soul to Jesus, our true salvation. 
That's, that's what we want to dive into today. That's what we want to look at. So would you open your Bible to Psalm 119, verse 81. I love the Psalms. If you ever want to know what the heart of, Christian, of a Christian life looks like, what theology lived out looks like, turn to the Psalms. This is what your theology is supposed to look like. It's a heart cry to God through joy and triumph and anguish and defeat and despair and redemption and salvation and worship and faith throughout all of it. So Psalm 119 it is a Hebrew acrostic poem. If you know what the, that is, an acrostic poem, it, it takes the letters of the alphabet. And the Hebrew acrostic poem begins each stanza. Is that right? Stanza, yes. Each stanza, or sorry, each verse with that same letter. And each stanza contains eight verses. And the, each of the first eight verses began with the letter Aleph, Alif. Each of the next began with the letter Beth. And today we'll look at the 11th letter in the stanza beginning with the letter Kaf. So put your arm up here and say Kaf. There you go. You're now a Hebrew scholar and you know how to cough in public. You're welcome. Though no authorship was given for the inscription of Psalm 119, I, I would say, I'd make the claim that David wrote that. That that was King David. And many scholars would agree with me. I'm not out here on a limb all by myself. Why? Because it fits with his writing style and it fits with his life experience. The psalm reflects David. So would you stand with me in honor of God's word? You guys do this, right? Let's stand in honor of God's infallible Word, and we will read Psalm 119, verses 81 through 88. My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? For I have become like a wineskin in the smoke, yet I have not forgotten your statutes. How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? The insolent have dug pitfalls for me. They do not live according to your law. All your commandments are sure. They persecute me with falsehood. Help me. They have almost made an end of me on earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. In your steadfast love, give me life that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. Father in heaven, we gather this morning because of the perfect life, the spotless life of your Son. who took on our sin, who became sin for us, who was nailed to the cross, and we therefore have received His righteousness. And we know this is true, Lord, because on the third day, just as He said, just as He prophesied, He rose again in victory. 
he appeared before many. And then he ascended on high, and he is seated at the right hand, at your right hand. Our king sits at your right hand, and the earth is his footstool. And so, Lord, we wait for the day where all of his enemies will be under his feet in subjection and submission to him. And he splits the sky, and he comes, and he sets his throne here on the earth. And until then, we live as part of your kingdom that is here and not yet. We live knowing that our hope is coming, that our salvation is coming, and we are saved and being saved, and yet we still walk and we share the same persecutions and the trials that Jesus himself bore. And so, Lord, as we look to your word today, we ask that you would give us strength, that you would give us wisdom, that you would give us power, that you would grip our hearts, the longing of our hearts in such a way that we would suffer well, that we would live well, that we would have life well, fullness of life in the here and now, even as we sit in trial and tribulation and persecution. Because none of those things can separate us from you. So, Lord, would you do your work in our hearts, we pray. Would you speak through your word? Guard my mouth, O God. May only that which is true proceed from my lips, O God. Guard the perceptions of those who are here. May only that which is true be received by their heart and by their mind. If, any, if I say anything untrue, if they perceive anything untrue, Lord, may it pass by their ears. Do a work in your people this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. And be seated. So I, I have to admit, um, I, I'm in an, an 11-year series. If you thought Nick preached long, I, I'm in an 11-year series through Psalm 119 at our church. Um, and what that basically means is we do two a year. So we always do one at the start of the year, we do one in July, and, and typically um, when I come and preach here, I just, you know, I'm going to lay my cards, I'm a horrible poker player, so if you ever get me at the poker table, like, bid me up. Um, uh, I don't gamble. Uh, <laughs> but typically when I come here, it's a reworked sermon. It's something I've already done, and I, I've done it well, and I, I, I walk away thinking, man, if only my church would have heard me preach it the second time. So next week, I'm going to go home and preach this. So um, <laughs> thank you for being my guinea penny. Guinea. It's the first day of the year. I, yeah, I can't speak. Guinea pig. Verse 81, my soul, I mean, just, just hear the longing here. I mean, he uses the word longing, this yearning word. My soul longs for your salvation. I hope. In your word. I mean, this word soul, nefesh. It's the Hebrew word nefesh. It's similar to the Greek word cardia in its meaning. It, they both kind of mean this inner self, this inner life, this heart. The deepest, truest part of who you are. And so the Hebrew understanding of the of the heart is, is the same. It's composed of both mind and affection, thought and emotion. And the psalmist says, my, my, my soul longs, desires 
yearns. It's the same word used in Psalm 42, to pant. <sighs> Give me some water. What does your soul long for? You ever thought about that? What do you really long for? What do you yearn for? Do you know? I mean, to put the question in real practical terms, in this concrete form, what do your eyes desire to see? When you wake up in the morning, what do you reach for? Facebook. Right? Or ESPN. How many of you spent eight hours in front of the TV yesterday watching football? Honest men. Honest men right there. Is it Etsy? Is it Pinterest? Or is it something else? What excites you? What do you reach for? Listen, when you're tired, when you're hurting, when you're worn down, when you need comfort, what do you love to behold? Because you will behold what you love. Your eyes will look for the very thing you love. And let me tell you something, friends. You will become what you behold. You will become or become like that which you behold. Now the question we have to ask is, why? Why do you long to behold what you do? Why do I long in my flesh to behold what I do. Ultimately, you long to behold that which brings you joy, promises fulfillment, promises purpose, promises pleasure. And look, there's a sense in which you were created as such. That tendency is ingrained in you as a human being, as an image bearer of God. He created you that way. But you were created to behold glory. You were created to behold God in the fullness of who He is. You were created to image forth God. Do you see how that works? You were created to behold God, and you were made in His image to do what? To image forth God. But the problem is, the Spirit is willing, Christian, but flesh is weak. That which we long for is that which we put our faith in. And do, do you see where this is going? When, when, when you long for something, you're putting your faith in that something to fulfill you. When your eyes go to something, you're believing the promises of that something to fulfill you, to give you purpose, to give you pleasure, to give you fulfillment. Faith believes in the wisdom and the power and the promises of the one in which it trusts. So, so, 
we're, we're going through <laughs> a group self-reflection. How does that sound? But this is self-reflection, isn't it? It's looking in the mirror that we may know our own heart. Now, you good Reformed theologians will quickly say, the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can know it? But if you also know your Bible, you'll keep reading. And you'll see that God says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways. That's the next verse. And then in Jeremiah 17, oh, sorry, then in Proverbs, he says, the purpose in a man's heart are like deep water, but a man of understanding draws them out. You are to draw out the desires of your heart, the purpose of your heart. And guess what? We're not left without hope. We're not left in that desperately wicked and deceitful above all things state. What did God do? What is the new covenant? What does he promise you, church? A new heart. Why do you have desires for God? Because he has put a new heart within you. That is the only reason. He has taken out that heart of stone and he's put in a heart of flesh, one that beats, one that feels, one that is for him. And yet we know flesh is weak. Spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. And in this Christian life, we have this, this, this constant we are new and being made new, right? And so the Bible puts before us in a mirror, as a mirror, ways to guard, to keep, to discern, to understand our heart. And it speaks about our heart in ways that, that examine our thoughts, our desires, and our affections. And friends, that's what makes the, up the character of a person, isn't it? You and I and all who believe in the gospel of Jesus should be the first to be willing to examine our heart. And there's a reason for that. The gospel is both a mirror and a window. It is a mirror in that we see in the reflection of the law all of our shortcomings and the places we fail to measure up to the image of God that we were created to reflect. But it's a window because we see through the law God's Son, Jesus, the Lamb of God, who was the perfect image of God, who was slain for our sin and His perfect righteousness covers our reflection and as we look into that mirror we see Christ and we are being molded we are being shaped into his image this is 2nd Corinthians 3 17 from one degree of glory to another but our eyes cannot be fixed on ourselves but our eyes must be fixed on him 
And as we focus our eyes on the image of God and the person of Jesus Christ through the window of gospel, we behold Jesus, our salvation. And we love what we behold and we become what we behold like him. My soul longs for your salvation. Who is our salvation? Jesus. You know what his name means? Yeshua. Joshua. Jesus is the Greek transliteration of Joshua. What does Joshua mean? God is salvation. Jehovah is salvation. My soul longs. Longs for my salvation. It longs for Jesus, my King. Therefore, I hope in your word. Therefore, I hope in your word. The therefore isn't there. It's You see in that um, semicolon. We don't use semicolons anymore. We use shortened words like BT-dubs and LOL and all these other acronyms that I have to ask my kids about. What is the result of, of, of a soul longing for salvation? It's, I hope in your word. Why your word? Because that, that's where his promises come, amen? God promised salvation through his son in the Old Testament from Genesis 3 all the way to the fulfillment in Revelation. Where, how do we know? Because God has spoke. This promise was given. David believed. Faith believes in the wisdom, power, and the promises of the one in whom it trusts. David believed Yahweh. Therefore, faith believes in the wisdom, power, and promises of God. And yet, sometimes regardless of how strong or great our desires, our affections, our faith is, we're left to linger in longing. To linger in the trial and the toil and the tribulation. Look at 82. My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? Do you hear the desperation in that? Do you hear the sound of someone who's at the end of their rope? First, my soul longs. My, all of me, my innermost being longs. And then he says, my eyes long. Long for what? Long to behold. To behold what you love. Because you love what you behold. See, the, the eyes are, man, it's a really interesting analogy. Jesus said, the eyes are the light of the body. I never quite understood that. Because eyes receive light, right? Now, I'm sure he knew that. He's God. But right about that time, the understanding of how the eyes worked via Plato. 
was that the eyes would emanate this light, and it would somehow be absorbed by this. I mean, it's weird. It's Plato, okay? Smart guy, but. And Jesus took that metaphor, and he turned it. He says, the eyes not only emit the light of the soul. I mean, let me just tell you something. When I met my wife, wow, those eyes. Why? Oh, man, just the beauty of her personhood was just shining through. You see it in someone's eyes. That's why you look someone in the eyes to know who they are. And Jesus said this, not only is the eye the light of the soul, but they're also the window to the soul. The light that shines in is the light that reflects out. You were made to behold the glory of God, that it would shine into your soul and then reflect out. You were made to behold that is why he said things like, careful little eyes what you see, right? If what you behold is darkness, how great is that darkness? I, <laughs> I'm on Twitter too much. Uh, it's my social media sin of confession here. And there's things that I see that are just bereft of light. They're just full of darkness. And it, I'm not sinning in the fact that this happened. Whether it's a transgender parade for children or a fight that breaks out that, you know, people just think that's what cell phones are for. They're to record fights now. Or this video of this Lady pushing a two-year-old into a train track. What goes in affects the soul. What do we behold? What are we made to behold? I, I'm supposed to know that those things happen. Don't get me wrong. We ought to. We ought to grieve over it. But what you behold will affect what comes out. If what you love, what you long to behold is light, then you will become like the light. You will emit that which you behold, that which you take in through the eyes. Really, it's the metaphor of the soul. This is just one of the sensory means that we have, right? You take in stuff through the ears, too. Most of the time for my kids, it goes, right? In one out the other. You love what you behold, and you behold what you love. So here's the question, folks. Here's what you need to ask. What does your soul, your innermost self, inner truest self, love? I mean, we're, we're about to start a whole new year, right? How many of you have New Year's resolutions you're going to break next week? <laughs> One of those resolutions, may it be that you behold the glory of God in a greater way in 2023. 
May it be that you behold it in such a way that it's through the word of God. May it be, friends, that you hear, that you listen, that you encourage yourself in such a way where the glory of God is what streams into you. So it is the glory of God that streams out. And it's easy to find out. Look, here's the other thing is we have to be honest about what our flesh loves to behold. Don't we? Kill sin or it'll be killing you. I've been crucified with Christ. Therefore, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives through me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He purchased you. Your life is not your own. What does that mean? That means we understand what our flesh yearns for. Is it to be loved by people? That's because I want them to behold my glory. Is it to be entertained? Once again, that's about my glory. Is it to be comfortable? What you behold brings you pleasure. What is your pleasure? What are you delighting in? It's a matter of the heart. Listen. Listen to what he says. My eyes long for your salvation. My eyes long for your promise. My soul longs for your salvation. My eyes long for your promise. When will you comfort me? Job, in the midst of his trial, in the, in the middle of all this, Job 19.25, he says, For I know my Redeemer lives, and at the last, at the last, in the resurrection, he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, after I've died, after I've decomposed, been a worm sandwich. Yet, in my flesh, I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. Oh, my heart faints within me. It does the thought of beholding Jesus, the Son of God, your Savior, your King. Does your hope of seeing him, whether it is now when he splits the sky or when you awake from death, does that cause your heart to faint? Listen to where the psalmist is, verse 83. For I have become like a wineskin in the smoke, yet I have not forgotten your statutes. Cracked and dry. Do you feel that? I love the joyous, joyous sounds. I'm just, I'm down here smiling because I'm hearing, especially all these kids worshiping and just bringing joy to my soul. But I know that anytime we're in any group of people, there's someone rejoicing and there's someone mourning. There's someone who's, who's, Life whose soul is welling over and there's someone who's cracked and dry and they're a potsherd. That's broken, dried out, 
pots, clay pots. Where's he at? My soul is cracked and dry. I become like a wineskin in the smoke. A wineskin is this container made of leathered animal skin. And it's, it's fresh leathered animal skin. When the leather is young, it has the ability to stretch. It's pliable. And when, when the wine is made, it's poured into these new wineskins. And therefore, it's able to expand and contract while the wine fermented. Wine is the symbol of joy in scriptures. Do you understand that? It's the symbol of joy. Rabbis say, without wine, there is no rejoicing. Jesus made wine. Jesus drank wine. And there was no such thing. Okay, sorry. Sorry to burst your bubble. There's no such thing as non-alcoholic wine. It didn't exist back then. It exists now. That's fine. But just FYI. Here's, here's, here's why I'm saying that. Listen, there's a theological reason why I'm saying that. A non-alcoholic wine would be a wine of the Pharisee, my friends. It would have the form of godliness, but without the power. When a wineskin was cracked and dried out, it was no longer good for holding wine. The contents would leak and the new wine would burst the old wineskins, right? Why would they burst? Because they're fermenting. There's all this toil that's happening inside of this wineskin that's creating this wine with power. Your joy, friends, your Christian joy has power. It has power in the tumult, in the circumstance, in the trial, in the trouble, in the fermentation of life where, man, things are feeling bitter and angry and all this stuff is happening on the inside and yet you can have joy. Look, some of the most joyful people I know, the deepest, richest people I know have some of the most difficult circumstances that have formed them. Can you have joy? So here he is. He's saying, I've become like a wineskin in the smoke. Ah, oh, I'm cracked. I'm dry. Look, one little hit and all of this is going to spill out, God. Have you been there? Have you found yourself so hurt, so torn up by life, whether it's relationships or dreams dashed? that all capacity for joy is in peril of being lost forever. If that's you, the psalmist has something to say. How do you persevere? How? Because isn't that the question? Look, you're, you're all, you've either been there, or you're there now, or you're going to be there. So How? How do you persevere when, when, when the tumult comes? How do you hold fast when all the waves crash over the side and when you're up to your knees, your thighs, your waist of the water of, in the water of affliction and it feels like the ship is sinking? What does the psalmist say? 
Yet, I have not forgotten your statutes. His promises, his ways, his rule, you hold fast to them as far as you trust them. Listen, you will hold fast to the word of God as far as you trust the word of God. You will hold fast to Jesus, the Son of God, as far as you trust Jesus, the Son of God. The question is, is is he trustworthy? Do you believe the word of God is trustworthy? If you do, you will hold. But friends, it is not your grip upon the Savior that keeps you. It's his grip on you. This is Jesus in John 10, 27, 28. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. He goes, he gets them, and no one can snatch them out of his hand. And no one can snatch them out of his Father's hand. And he and the Father are one. Jesus is God. Is he trustworthy? Do you trust the boat? Do you trust his word? Do you trust its direction, where it's going? Do you trust the captain? I want so badly to do a pirate voice right there. I'm not. Do you trust God? Do you you trust his wisdom to to take you on this ride, this life that he has you on? Do you trust him? Do you believe you will make it to the shore of salvation? Do you believe he will see you to the other side? Do you believe he is with you all the way through? Because if you do, there will be no trial, no temptation, neither life nor death nor powers nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come. No, nothing can separate you from the love of God. So do you believe in his promises? Do you long for the destination enough to traverse the journey? Do you long for the destination, for the beholding of the Son of God in the flesh, with your eyes, for all eternity, enough to journey through all the muck, the mire, the pits, the pitfalls of life? Look at verse 84. How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? This phrase, how long it's repeated in Scripture, it's seen in full fruition with the saints before the throne in Revelation 6. And they're saying, how long, O God, will will you wait? How long until you avenge? So we must recognize now what the psalmist does not do. The psalmist does not take vengeance into their own hands. Christians, we're guilty of this, aren't we? The psalmist does not take vengeance in their own hands, but the psalmist trusts the perfect judgment, the judgment of the ruler in Isaiah 9 and Isaiah 11, that which you probably read over the last four or five weeks. That salvation will come from the offspring of David who will see perfectly, who will judge perfectly. Perfectly, who will judge justly. But in the moment of trial, the minutes seem like hours and the hours 
go so slowly, and if you're singing a song in your head, you're welcome at the Gaither House anytime. Anyone? No? Okay. Gosh. West Side Story. Okay. Listen, I think we need to hear this as Christians. The most Christ-like witness you can give the world around you is to sit in the persecution and trial like Jesus, your Savior, and trust God to rescue you from the pit. Let me say that again. The most Christ-like witness that you can give the world around you is to sit in the persecution and trial like Jesus, your Savior, and trust God to rescue you from the pit. Verse 85, the insulin have dug pitfalls for me. They do not live according to your law. This, this image of digging a pit, it's a trap. It's meant to separate you from life, from that which you know, that which you love, that which you live. Think of Joseph and his brothers. They dig a pit, and they threw him in it. The psalmist is speaking metaphorically. What does it mean to dig a pitfall? It's this conniving of intentional schemes based on what they know you're going to do. Huh, he's a righteous man, so if I do this, he'll do this. In ways that will separate you from that which you want your de- or your desire, whether it's a promotion, whether it's a raise, whether it's a better job, whether it's a better house, whether it's whatever. I've seen this in the church. I've seen this in the world. People lay pitfalls. They don't act according to the law of God, according to what's righteous. They act according to wickedness. What are you to do? Look at the next verse, church. All your commandments are sure. Do I change my behavior because they acted in wickedness? Do I change what I ought to do because they did something they're not ought to do? Is righteousness a sliding scale? Do the ends justify the means? That's not what he's saying. All your commandments are sure. They persecute me with falsehood. God, help me. You know that saying, God helps those who help themselves? It's not biblical. It's not. Do you know what that would amount to? God looking at the proud, God looking at the wealthy, God looking at the well-off, God looking at the people of the world who look like they have it all together and say, yep, you're good enough, you're good enough, you're good enough, you're good enough. I'll help you a little bit more. He's, what is he not doing? He's not retaliating. God, I am acting according to your law. They're not. You're the judge. Help me, oh God. Preserve me. Do you see the source of his trust? The commandments of God are firm. They're sure. That word means truth. He puts the truth of God in juxtaposition to their falsehood of their persecution. And he cries, help. 
They have almost made an end of me on the earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. Look how far this persecution has gone. I am almost done. The wineskin is cracked and dried, God. The contents are spilling out. It can't hold joy anymore, but I have not forsaken your precepts. How are you going to survive the storm, church? <laughs> Remember when everyone was talking about, ooh, 2020, we have 2020 vision, it's going to be so awesome. <laughs> Sorry. You don't know when it's coming. How are you going to survive the storm? How are you going to hold on to hope when the waters have come up to your neck? This is how. What do you set your heart on? Where, where, who do you love? What do you love? What do you hope for? That's what's going to sustain you. Where you set your hope of eternal life. Look at verse 88. In your steadfast love give me life that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. No. What time do I need to be off the platform? Now? Yeah. Can I, can I have five minutes? Okay. Can I have ten? Fifteen? Okay. <laughs> Sometimes the trial gets so difficult that you can't see anymore because the eyes are like the wineskin in the smoke. And the smoke comes and it hits your face and it's all blurry. And you can't make sense of what you see in front of you. You can't tell up from down. You lost a kid. Your family member died. You have no clue where your next meal is coming from. I would just commend you to the kindness of God that even when you don't understand what's happening or why, to trust that He does. That doesn't mean that it's going to get, it's just going to go away. In your steadfast love, your loyal, unchanging, unending love, give me life. Listen, that's what you're longing for. All of those things that your eyes seek to behold, you know what you're looking for? Life! Life in the fullest. You were made for that. God created you not that you would be this glass half empty person or a quarter full or even three quarters full. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and life abundant, overflowing this source, this well that keeps going and keeps spewing forth joy. 
Do you trust that? Do you believe him? Do you trust the captain? Do you trust where the ship is taking you? Because here's what he says. He says, in your steadfast love, give me life, that I might keep the testimonies of your mouth. Why would he want to keep the testimonies of your mouth? Because let me tell you something, walking in righteousness with God, in the presence of God, by the Spirit of God, there's nothing better or greater. And I, I, I wholly commend Christ, not, not because I think it's a better moral religious system, Because I think there's greater joy in him than you'll find anywhere else, in anything else. If there was something else that would promise you greater joy and fulfillment, guess what? I would preach that. But there isn't. There just isn't. In your steadfast love, give me life. How do we reach eternal life? It is by the steadfast love of God. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the wrath bearer of our sins. For what reason? That we might be presented to God, holy and blameless, living a fullness of life for all eternity. That God is for your joy. So my, my aim here this morning, look, my aim is, is really to stir your affections for God. To set your heart on the beauty, the power, the majesty, the wonder, the glory of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Because that is how you're going to sustain any storm, any trial, any tribulation. You can sustain it. Why? Because of Christ in you, Right? In our weakness, he is strong. Paul says, I prayed three times, Lord, take this thorn of the flesh away. Lord, take it away. And he says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. It is not you holding on to the mass. It is Christ holding on to you that sustains you. Trust him. Set your eyes on him. Set your heart towards him. Jesus came that you would have the fullness of of life. Let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you for these, my brothers, my sisters. Lord, my only prayer is that you, by your Spirit, would do your work in the hearts and the minds of those who would hear. Lord, that you would encourage and lift up those who need to be lifted up. Lord, that you would graciously set a mirror in front of those who need to see a mirror and see just your blood wash and cleanse. Lord, let them look through the window to the finished work of the Son of God and see the image of their Creator, of their, of their God, their King, whom they are being made to be. And for that reason, Lord, may they have hope. May they, have, may they long, O oh God, for life in you. Amen.